morning, everybody. We are on week three of our series, Why We Are the Way We Are, which is a long name. I keep making longer and longer names for our series. I don't know why. Um, but Why We Are the Way We Are, which is a series where we're looking at some of the core beliefs we hold as a church community. What are the things that we all say, hey, this is a core of our faith. These are the beliefs that not only do we write down on paper, but they also shape how we live our lives. And so they're, they live how we live our lives, but they also be, shape who we are, who we become. So when you understand our beliefs, when we understand why we are the way we are. And this morning we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit uh, and our belief about the Holy Spirit that comes from our 24 confessions of faith. Our confession of faith from a Mennonite perspective, where there's 24 different statements. And so this morning we're looking at the Holy Spirit together. And just a couple things about the series. We're doing six of these a year. So over four years, we'll get through all 24. We're not doing, we're not doing half the year in this. Um, but there's a week seven. And week seven, we're going to do some Q&A. And so if you have any questions that come up as we go through this, because these are big topics, we would love to hear your questions. You can text it to my number up on the screen, or you can email me at michaelatsierravalley.ca. And then on the seventh Sunday of the series, Pastor Grant and I will spend some time addressing the questions that you bring up and giving a little bit more insight into those areas. So I'm excited for that. And finally, big topics. People have written books on the, these topics. Some of these books are really good. And so if you're like, hey, I want to know more about this topic, I should, I, I should probably read a book on it. On the table in the lobby, there are books on these topics. Uh, so feel free to grab and borrow any of those that you would like. Take the time you need to read it and maybe get back to us someday. Or if it's really good and your friend needs to read it, just give it to your friend. It's not, these, they're not on the library system yet, so we're not going to hunt you down. Just read it, give it to somebody who needs to read it. Um, that being said, so, I'm going to change tracks. Has anybody seen one of these before? A few of you guys have seen these. A lot of you guys seem to know what they're about. Um, I don't think I'd actually seen one of these, really, until I started dating my now wife, Morgan. And we actually, we got this as a wedding present. Because this is a wedding present. And it's really nice. It looks really expensive. It's a nice little like thing that you put like in your kitchen drawer. Um, but honestly, it's the type of thing that like I would put in my kitchen drawer and just probably ignore. Like you know those like utensils that you're like, that's a really nice gift. And you put it in your kitchen drawer and you just try to kind of ignore it because you're like, I don't really know what that's for. It looks really nice. It looks like it would work great. But you just kind of go, it's in the kitchen, but I don't ever want to really deal with it. So I'm just going to like bury in the back of that drawer where the like potato masher gets stuck when you try to open the drawer, that drawer. Anyways. Um, but then there's a point where you're like, maybe you get tired of like ignoring it and you're like, hey, I'm going to figure out what to do with this thing. And so you try it with different things and you go, it looks kind of like a peeler. Let's try peeling some vegetables or an apple. Does not work well. Not a great peeler. Not, that's not it. So then you like find some, you try like using it to like slice butter. Maybe it's a weird butter knife. You can slice butter with this. Not good at it, but you can do it. Or you find out that you married into a Dutch family. 
And like Americans think that they like cheese. Like they've got their cheddar cheese, they've got their American cheese, and they've got pepper jack if they're feeling really spicy. That's basically it. And they're all super soft and not that great. But the Dutch, they figured out something about cheese. If you let it sit long enough, it gets dehydrated enough, it tastes really good and it's also really hard to slice. And, and it's really strong, so you don't want that much of it. So you, this perfectly slices a nice thin slice of an applewood smoked gouda or the one with the weird seeds in it. It's so good. It's one of the best things the Dutch have come up with, in my opinion. And they love their cheese so much that they make these amazing tools just for slicing cheese. So anyways, now that you're wanting cheese, um, and not crappy American cheese, but you want good Dutch cheese. Anyways, after all that, we treat the Holy Spirit like cheese a lot of times. Not cheese, like a cheese slicer a lot of times. Depending on how you grew up, how you learned about Christianity and your faith, um, for some of us, the Holy Spirit is one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, when you baptize somebody, you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you dunk them, bring them back up. It's great. And it's just this name that you take on to God because, like, there's the Trinity and there's the Father, and you get the Father, and you understand the Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit, just that kind of like the third wheel of the Trinity. And we treat it like a third wheel. Or maybe you grew up in the type of church, or you've been around the type of church where whenever somebody feels emotional, you go, man, the Holy Spirit was really here today. It's a little, a little heretical. The Bible says anytime we gather together as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's there. We're like, man, the Holy Spirit was really there in worship. I was crying. And anytime you get emotional, you go, that's the Holy Spirit. Or there's other traditions where other sides of Christianity, where when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like anything weird, kind of like a ghost story that happens. We say, oh yeah, that was the Holy Spirit. You know how when I put my toast in the toaster and it came out and it looked like it had the face of Jesus or it had a cross on it, that was the Holy Spirit. And you're like, this, and we get a little weird and superstitious around that side sometimes. And there's certain types of Christians, they really want people to know about what they do wrong. They really want everybody to know how bad of a person they are and how much they've done wrong. I'm trying not to be impolite here. Um, but that's just a part of the faith that really stands out to them is, hey, people are imperfect. We do things wrong. And so the main thing they, know, they think of the Holy Spirit for is they're like, that person is not noticing how wrong and hurtful and sinful what they're doing is. They need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Man, they need to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's just trying to convict them and they're not listening. And that's really all the Holy Spirit is there to do in their mind is convict people of sin, of wrongdoing. And it's a lot like a cheese slicer where some of us go, man, the Holy Spirit's confusing. It's a little weird. It's a little out of my comfort zone. I'm just going to put it in a drawer and try to forget about it. I'm just going to say it when I baptize people, but that's kind of it. And for others, they kind of try to slice butter with it where they're like, hey, it will slice butter. It does tie into our emotional experience of our faith. They're not wrong, but it's a really narrow understanding of the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to look at what we believe as a church community about the Holy Spirit and how that actually impacts how we live our lives, how it makes us who we are, why we are the way we are. 
So in the Confession of Faith from a Mennonite perspective, we summarize our beliefs. And this is actually a really good statement. It starts with one paragraph, and then if you read the longer version, there's five more paragraphs to get into more detail that are really good. I'll just tell you. So if you go to our website, Beliefs, and then scroll down to the bottom, there's a link to the full version. Check it out. It's really good. Anyways, the short version. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit of God, who dwelled in Jesus Christ, who empowers the church, who is the source of our life in Christ, and who is poured out on those who believe as the guarantee of redemption. So let's work through these phrases together and see where they come from. The eternal spirit of God. That's a bit of a claim to say that something's existed eternally. Um, but throughout scripture, the Holy Spirit is referenced in different ways. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the author is talking about a different topic, but just in passing, they're like, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so subtly, that's just one of those things that's communicated through scriptures, that the spirit is eternal. It's part of the Trinity. We covered that a couple weeks ago. It's part of the Trinity. It is one of the three persons of God it's existed eternally with the Father and the Son. But it's interesting because this points to something. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this leads to our next statement from our confession. Who dwelled in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwelled, was living in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 3 we run into an interesting moment. At this point, Jesus has been living on earth. He started to stand out a little bit, but he goes, something happens. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And you're like, you're Jesus. You're fully human. Uh, you're also fully God. Why are you being baptized? Like, you're not committing to faith in God. You are God. Like, you're not committing to faith in Jesus. You are Jesus. Like, why are you getting baptized? Because Part of Jesus living fully on earth, on earth as fully God and fully human was showing us what it meant to live as a human, as God created humans to live. And this relational process is meant to happen. So Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit and bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. I love this passage because not only is Jesus saying this example of being baptized and saying this is what we're meant to do as followers of Jesus ourselves, but also it's a reflection of relationship that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And God the Father looks at us and says, you are my son. You are my daughter, and you bring me great joy. Don't forget that. So we get to our next phrase, who empowers the church. How does the Holy Spirit empower the church? So we, we jump to the church, right? No, actually we jump for about 400 years earlier than the church. 
in Joel chapter 2. This is hundreds of years before Christ was on earth, hundreds of years before the followers of Jesus became organized as the church. Joel and Ezekiel has a similar prophecy, but Joel says this. And he's been talking about Jesus coming as the Messiah, and he says, Then, after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is what God's saying. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. That's an interesting prophecy. Because up to that point, all throughout the Old Testament, before Christ was on earth, at various times, in specific situations with specific people, there were moments where the Spirit of God came upon somebody, and they did this or they did that. The Spirit of God came upon Samson and gave him incredible strength. The Spirit of God came upon a prophet and they prophesied. But with some people at some times in some places that God said, I'm going to empower a human with the power of God through the Spirit. But this passage is saying, after this Messiah comes, the Spirit's going to come upon all people. The Spirit's going to be given to all people. So then we jump to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is kind of describing some of the very first followers of Jesus, right after Jesus was on earth. They're figuring out what it means to follow Jesus together. They're trying stuff. Some of it goes really well. Some of it goes terribly. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers in the city of Jerusalem were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And that's funny because if there's a passage where Elijah was frustrated, and the Spirit of God showed up in a mighty windstorm. And it's an echo of that. Then what looked like flames, and then there was fire with Elijah. So it's an echo of what happened with Elijah. Or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And this has gotten weird. Just another ordinary Sunday morning. They're just getting together, ordinary people, just practicing their faith. How would you guys feel if a mighty windstorm swept through our building? Not outside our building, through the inside of our building. It would be a little unsettling. And then fire shows up, and we're like, hey, there's a reason we switched to electric candles for Christmas Eve service. We don't want fire in the building. Anyways, fire settled on each of them. And this is not the crazy part. This is, like, this is the weird part, but not the crazy part. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And the Holy Spirit came and gave them an ability to speak in other languages. Now, people around the city saw this happening. They're like, what's up with this windstorm and this fire going on? And they show up. And Peter, who's kind of leading this service, has some explaining to do. Because some of the people that show up are like, is everybody drunk speaking these weird languages? Do you guys all get drinking? And Peter's like, no, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drinking yet. Like, this is not drunkenness. Others that showed up were like, wait, why are they speaking my language? Because Jerusalem was a city where, it was a central city where a lot of people with different languages would travel and visit. And all these people are like, why are you speaking my language? And they're able to actually communicate about Jesus in each person's language, which is cool. But everyone's like, what is going on? And Peter's like, you remember how a few hundred years ago, Joel wrote that prophecy down 
This is it. This is the dreaming dreams. This is the having visions. This is speaking in other tongues, other languages. Because God wants to spread this message beyond the language that we all speak. And so he's giving us the Holy Spirit to give us this language to do what only he can do. Do what we can't do in our human ability. That is what the first image that we have of God empowering the church through the Holy Spirit. So let's move to the next phrase. Who is the source of our life in Christ? In the book of Romans, it's a book that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Rome a few decades after Christ was on earth. He says this to them, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Pay attention to that. The Spirit of God does not show up in your life as a follower of Jesus to control you. It does not make you a slave. It's actually a very voluntary thing. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. When we become a follower of Jesus, God gives us his spirit. When he adopts us as his child, when we become a follower of Jesus, he says, I adopt you as my child and I give you my spirit to live a life in the spirit. There's a direct connection between being a child of God and living led by the spirit. All those who are led by the spirit are children of God. And so it doesn't say all those who are children of God are led by the spirit. It could, it doesn't. So it's not saying if you aren't led by the Spirit that you're not a child of God, but it's actually a privilege of being led, of being a child of God. Like being a child of my dad, I got the privilege, once I got to a certain age, of if I was hungry, I could just go make myself a snack. I could go raid the fridge and the cupboards and dig up whatever he bought from Costco to try to feed a teenage boy. If you, don't ha if you have small children and you haven't fed teenagers yet, be scared. Your grocery bill is going to skyrocket. But anyways, one of the privileges was I could just go and, if I was hungry, I could just go find food and make myself food. That's the privilege of being a child of my dad living in his house. However, I could have just ignored that and been like, oh yeah, he told me there's food, but instead I'm going to sit here hungry, waiting for somebody to serve me my next meal. And that's what we run into with the Holy Spirit, is when we're adopted as children of God, God says, I give you the privilege, I give you my spirit that you can be led by. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. We're not forced by the Spirit to do anything, but God says, invites us to be in the Spirit. He gives us our life in Christ. And our final phrase, and who is poured out on those who believe as the guarantee of redemption. And this is an interesting phrase. And I actually had to think about this for a little bit and look into this a little bit. This phrase comes from Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 13. They're writing to a church in Ephesus, and like when G, just a random clarification, because it starts with a weird word, Gentile. Jesus came to the Jewish people who had been following the Jewish religion, which turned into Christianity for those that believed in Jesus, um, and can continued that religion and was the next step forward. But there are many people who are not from a Jewish background. 
that came to faith in Jesus. And so they're Gentiles. And so now you Gentiles, you who do not come from a Jewish background, but are followers of Jesus, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. And one of the hard things about being a human trying to follow Jesus is you will doubt whether Jesus is real. You will doubt whether God can do what he said he will do. That's just part of being a human. Some days you'll be like, I'm so sure. And other days you'll be like, can God, like, yeah, I believe in this. But when I die, is God actually going to redeem me? Is God actually going to save me from the consequence of all the wrong I've done in my life? Is that going to happen? I don't know, right? That's a natural, healthy, functional human brain thing to do. And God recognizes that. He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that redemption. Because when you see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the life of those around you, it's a constant reminder of God's power. It's a constant reminder that God can do what he says he will do. Well, there was a start at Pentecost, the early church at Pentecost, where God had prophesied 400-ish years I didn't double check the math on that, so don't, it might be give or take a hundred years. But hundreds of years earlier, he prophesied hundreds of years earlier through Joel, hey, you're going to speak in tongues, whatever that means, foreign languages. And he did it. And that's that reminder that God can do what he says he's going to do. And the guarantee of our salvation, that constant reminder is as we live life in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and we see the evidence of God's power through that, it goes, okay, it's not the craziest thing to believe that God's actually going to redeem me. It's actually a reminder in that promise. So knowing all of this, we just covered a lot of ground. This is part of the series that we cover about 20 sermons at once. But knowing all of this, how do you live your life with the Holy Spirit? How do you not be the person that has the fridge and the cupboard and everything available to you for your life, but you're just sitting there at the table waiting for food to show up? How do you be that child of God, that son or that dog that's led by the Spirit? If you read the rest of our Confession of Faith's description of the Holy Spirit, you read the full version, it gets into this, but I'm just going to summarize a couple things the Holy Spirit does, because it does so many things. It convicts us of sin. It does, if we do, it doesn't force us to see our sin. It doesn't not make us a slave, but if we say, God, Show me where I'm doing things that are not how you made me to live, that are hurting myself, hurting those around me. That's just not how I'm meant to live as a human. If you say, God, show me, the Holy Spirit shows up and gives us clarity and goes, oh yeah, the way you're treating that coworker, the way you're dealing with this business deal, that's actually harmful. That's not how you're meant to live. The, the words that you said to your spouse last night, yeah. Here's some clarity on how that was harmful and convicts us as we're open to it. It also reveals truth. One of the kind of concerns that people had when Jesus was on earth and teaching was they're like, hey, Jesus, once you're gone, what's going to happen? How are we going to know God? Like you're telling us so much about God. You're revealing so much truth to us. What, are you, how, what happens if you leave? He said, don't worry. I'm sending the Spirit to reveal all truth to you. Holy Spirit also gives us gifts. 
spiritual gifts, to do the work that God has called us to do. We're called the body of Christ. We're called to actually do the work of God on earth, but we're not God. We're human, and we have human limitations. And God sees that and says, hey, the Spirit is going to give you spiritual gifts to do what only God can do. I want to do that through humans, through the body of Christ. Those giftings can include evangelism, teaching, encouraging, shepherding, mercy showing, serving, giving, leadership. The list goes on, and there's a lot of different lists in the Bible. But there's different gifts that God will give each one of us to be part of his body here on earth. The lists also include things that weird us out sometimes, like prophecy. Believe it or not, the Mennonites believe in prophecy. We don't do it much these days, but we actually believe in it. Um, that God will reveal things that we can't humanly know through the Holy Spirit. That's what prophecy is. Sometimes it's the future. Sometimes it's just when you're praying for somebody that you feel led to pray for something that you don't know about. This is one of the things that, like, one of my experiences where I was like, okay, I guess the Holy Spirit is real. Because there's a point that, I think I've told this story before, so you're like, Michael, don't tell the same story. But there's a point I was just praying for a youth when I was a youth pastor. And I felt like I needed to pray for a specific situation in their life that I didn't know existed. And I was like, this is going to kind of hurt your feelings if I pray about this. And this isn't what's going on, but I'm pretty sure this is what I need to pray about this. And I prayed specifically about that. And then later they were like, that was, the, I was testing God. I was going, God, if you're real, show me that you're present. And when Michael prayed for me, and he was praying about things I'd never told him. I intentionally didn't tell him anything about what was going on in my life when he was praying for me. That was an assurance that God was actually real and present and not just somebody out there, but somebody here. So there's prophecies, there's healings. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. The Holy Spirit actually walks with us through life and shows us the heart of God and gives us comfort. The Holy Spirit's an advocate. There's a passage that describes that when you're going through a situation, you ever try to come—one of the hardest things as humans and friendship is when somebody's going through a situation where you show up and you're like, I don't have words for this situation. You ever have a friend going through something, maybe you're even scared to, like, get coffee with them or meet up with them, show up in that situation because you're like, I don't know what to say. This is one of those things where you just feel it and you, there's not really words to say. And God loves us so much and wants to be with us in relationship so much. He says the Holy Spirit is an advocate for us. Then when we're going through those situations, we can't even put into words what we're going through. The Holy Spirit takes on that and communicates through groanings to the Father and advocates for us and prays with us. Talks to God with us. Not even through words. Which is amazing. And also there's the fruit of the Spirit. And the funny thing about the fruit of the Spirit it's not something that you, you don't, you don't start with fruit. You grow the tree and then the fruit happens. And when you live a life led by the Spirit, where you let God work through the Spirit in your life, then the fruit that comes out of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you're like, hey, I want that. Okay, then don't sit at the table waiting for the food to just sh show up. Go to the cupboard. Go to the fridge. Don't go, hey, I'm a child of God and God's going to do all this in my life. But also, I don't want to be led by the Spirit. That, that's a weird thing that I'm going to leave in the kitchen drawer and I try to ignore. All right? But if you've ever found yourself 
going, maybe the Spirit's working. Maybe the Spirit thing, I should look into it. But uh, that's not new. The church, followers of Jesus have wrestled for the, with this for 2,000 years. Because there's this thing about the Holy Spirit that's really annoying. We live in a normal, physical, natural world, right? Natural things happen. The seasons happen. If you drop something, it always hits the ground because that's the natural law of gravity. Unless it's like filled with helium, but anything that is heavier than the air around you, it drops and hits the ground. There's natural rules to how things work. Everything you experience is natural, right? And then the Holy Spirit's this invitation to believe in something supernatural. And this invitation to actually not just believe in it, but experience it and let it happen. And that's scary and weird. And you don't want to be a crazy person. And you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to misunderstand God. And you don't want to be that person that people are like, yeah, they believe that that's Jesus' face on their toast. Because that, that, that's a little weird. So we often find ourselves st struggling with seeing a hint of the Holy Spirit and being like, I don't want to go there. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. They're writing to the church in Thessalonica saying, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. They're not writing that because, unless there's a problem. They're writing that because 2,000 years ago, people were already going, eh. Like, have you ever been in a meeting where people are talking about this big problem? And you're like, I know the solution. And you treat, keep trying to speak up, but you're one of those people that nobody thinks could know the solution. And you finally try to speak up, and they're like, no, this is, this is above your head. This is for the big boys to figure out. And you feel stifled. That's the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives so often. The Holy Spirit's sitting there, and we're like, God, please fix this. God, please work in this. God, can you be present? Can you change me? And the Holy Spirit's going, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And you're like, no, but I want the Father, the Son to do it, not the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. That's what I do. This is what was an issue 2,000 years ago, and we still deal with today, and we always have to deal with. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But, just believe everything that anybody says is the Holy Spirit? No. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. We do need to test everything. We need, do need to go, is this of the Holy Spirit? Because when you're dealing with the supernatural, when you're dealing with God breaking the rules and doing supernatural and giving his power to humans, like, you should test it. Because ever since the beginning of humanity, Satan has been involved too, not just God. Satan showed up in the garden and said, hey, did God really say that? Satan works mostly through deception. And so, so, so there's a wisdom to going, hey, if I think this could be the Holy Spirit, test it and see if it's of God or if when, under testing when I share it with a couple other followers of Jesus and I ask them to pray and test this with me, does it line up or does it not? If it doesn't pass the test, stay away from every kind of evil. If it doesn't pass the test, go, oh, that was cool, but nope, that's not it. But if it passes the test, hold on to what is good. 
the authors of our confession of faith write this. And it's funny because there's certain times in the history of the Mennonite belief, because the Mennonite kind of perspective of Christianity has been around for about 500 years now. And in the early days, the first 100 years or so, we were really into the Holy Spirit. And then we slowly backed away and started to stifle it more and more. In general. In general. There's always exceptions, but in general. And so they wrote this in 1995. And I don't think this was describing, this wasn't a description of this is what happens. They're going, hey, this is what we believe, so this is what should happen. And they say, we know from Scripture the Holy Spirit continues to reveal God's will to us. The Spirit of God is not silent in the present. However, this new revelation will not contradict what we know of Christ's way in Scripture. So we can open ourselves to revelation and prophecy, provided we test them in the community of faith by the norm provided in Christ through the Scriptures. I love how they describe this. And not just revelation, but any work of the Spirit. This is the response. Test it. Go, does this line up with the example that, set, that Christ set for us? Does this line up with his teachings and with it, the way that he lived his life? And when we bring this into community, when we are at our community group and we're like, hey, I think the Spirit might be working in this. Can you pray with me? Do they affirm that or do they go, no, no. Because God is faithful to reveal himself through community. There's an example of the Holy Spirit working that I loved that happened this last week. It's last Sunday, the Sunday morning before the church service, and I often will try to run through the message because I try to make it make sense and yeah, I try to do a good job. So I'm working my way through the, church, through the message for last Sunday, and I'm working through, and there's a point that I hit where I was planning to spend about 30 seconds on this point. And then I had this idea of how I could talk about it for about five minutes. I was like, should I talk about it for five minutes? And you're like, no, please make the sermon shorter. I want to eat lunch. I don't know. But I was like, do I add five minutes or do I not? God, and I just kind of threw a prayer to God. God, give me some clarity on this. I don't know whether... Like, I wasn't planning to spend time on this point. I wasn't planning to spend time here. Should I or should I not? And as I'm thinking about it and just prayed about it, I get a text. And I'm annoyed because I hate getting texts when I'm working on my message because it's like a very strong stream of thought. And I don't want to get de derailed. But I'm annoyed. I pull out my phone and I look at my phone to read this text. Here's what the text says. Good morning. In my prayer time yesterday, I had a picture or a vision. Hmm. Very Pentecostal. Very Pentecost moment. But God did it 2,000 years ago. He said it was going to happen. Maybe it'll happen. That was given to me. It's basically an invitation to someone to come to Jesus. Part of the picture was a door with Jesus' name written on it. And they were supposed, they were to go through the door. There were things they were supposed to lay down at the front of the door before they could go through. Maybe doubts or unbelief. It was funny because well, I'll get there. There was more to the picture. Things in front of the door and on the other side of it. If you feel it's relevant and want to hear more, I can share more. At the time, it seemed like it was for someone in particular. But as I pray this morning and ask God what he wants me to bring to church, I was prompted to tell you about it. Maybe this fits with something this morning that you are sharing. If not, I'll wait on the Lord with it. I love this. This is being led by the Spirit. This is living in the Spirit. Because... They're just praying, spending time with God, and they're like, I have this vision popping into my head. Maybe this is of the Spirit. I'm not 100% sure, but I, there's a good chance. And they feel at the time is something to just sit on and hold on to themselves, and so they do. 
And then strangely, the next day, as I'm preparing my message, at the exact moment, they feel, oh, I need to share this with Pastor Michael. And so they text me and interrupt my sermon prep. And I've just asked God, give me clarity on this point. And this particular point was actually addressing doubts and saying, here's how to shut down your doubts. And I get this text, I read it, and I go, I didn't, I didn't respond to it in a timely way. I feel bad about that. I'm sorry. But I read the text, and I go, thank you, God. This is the clarity I was looking for. Now I know that, I'm at, that this wasn't just a random idea that I'm meant to spend five minutes sitting in this point and dig into it because I know that you want to work through it. I don't know what you're going on, what's going on. Is that crazy prophecy miracle? Sort of. Was it normal human life? Absolutely not. But that's the Holy Spirit working. That he does something where you're like, I don't know if this is God or not, but I'm going to text Michael and see if the Spirit confirms it. And it was confirmed, and it was wonderful, and I was so encouraged, and I had courage to speak that more and go, and I know God wants to do something here that I, I can't know. I may never know the end of that story, but I'm excited about being part of the middle of it. So Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And Abba is like Dada, Dada. We have the privilege of God saying, I don't want to be a distant father. I've sent my spirit to live with you. I've called you to do things that are far beyond your ability as a human. When we just do what we can do as a church in our human ability, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what God wants to do through his body here on earth. When we are led by the spirit and all the ways that the spirit works, that bucket is full to overflowing. As God works through his body here on earth, he empowers us. He confirms what he's doing. He makes it clear that it's his spirit, not just a thought. There's something supernatural in that. I'm so thankful for that. And when we live in the spirit, we live life in Christ. Living life in Christ is living in the spirit. And that life isn't just for us. That life is a life we get to share with those around us. We get to share with those at work. We get to share with those at school. We get to share that with the people we play sports with. We get to share that with our neighbors. That life overflows. When you want to be filled with the life of Christ, it looks like coming to know and live and be led by the Spirit. I'm just going to invite the band to the stage for our final song as I close this up in prayer. God, we do want to know you more. We want to know you fully. We want to experience the life that you created us for. Not a life of just doing what we can do in our own strength, but a life empowered by your spirit. A life where when we're struggling, we need comfort, you comfort us. A life where when we don't know what to pray, you pray for us. A life where we need a miracle, we actually know that you can do a miracle. A life where we become people full of love and joy and peace 
patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control as you form us. We become who you create us to be. So we just want to take a moment to offer our lives up to you and say we're open to you working, God. We want to know how you work through your spirit. We want your spirit to live in us. We want to be led by your spirit. We're going to take steps of courage. We're going to take steps of openness. We're going to take responsibility to test that and make sure that it's your good work. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Amen.